Today I'll be reading the opinion of the court in United States XREL Shooty v. SuperValue, Inc. Justice Thomas delivered the opinion for a unanimous court. The False Claims Act, or FCA, imposes liability on anyone who knowingly submits a false claim to the government. In some cases, that rule is straightforward. If a law authorized payment of $100 for each medical test, and a doctor knows that he did five tests but submits a claim for ten, then he has knowingly submitted a false claim. But sometimes the rule is less clear. If a law authorized payment for only customary medical tests, some doctors might be confused when it came time for billing. And while some doctors might honestly mistake what that term means, others might correctly understand whatever customary meant in this context and submit claims that were inaccurate anyway. The cases before us today involve a legal standard similar to that latter example. In certain circumstances, pharmacies are required to bill Medicare and Medicaid for their usual and customary drug prices. And critically, these cases involve defendants, or respondents here, who may have correctly understood the relevant standard and submitted inaccurate claims anyway. The question presented is thus whether respondents could have the scienter required by the FCA if they correctly understood that standard and thought that their claims were inaccurate. We hold that the answer is yes. What matters for an FCA case is whether the defendant knew the claim was false. Thus, if respondents correctly interpreted the relevant phrase and believed their claims were false, then they could have known their claims were false. Part 1 The FCA permits private parties to bring lawsuits in the name of the United States, called Tam lawsuits, against those who they believe have defrauded the federal government. Petitioners here brought two such lawsuits against respondents, which are companies that operate hundreds of retail drug pharmacies nationwide. In number 21-1326, respondents are a group of companies that we collectively call SuperValue. In number 22-111, respondent is Safeway, Inc., According to petitioners, respondents overcharged Medicare and Medicaid programs for years when seeking reimbursement for prescription drugs that the programs covered. In doing so, petitioners argue, respondents defrauded the government and violated the FCA. Section A. The claims at issue here relate to two federal benefits programs, Medicaid, which establishes a cooperative federal-state program that provides medical assistance to certain low-income individuals, and Medicare, which provides federally funded health insurance coverage to individuals who are 65 or older or who are disabled. As relevant here, states' Medicaid plans may offer outpatient prescription drug coverage to qualifying individuals. However, the Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, has promulgated regulations that limit the amount these programs may reimburse for certain drugs. 
Those regulations limit any reimbursement to the lower of two amounts, one of which is the healthcare provider's usual and customary charges for the drug to the general public. State Medicaid agencies likewise typically reimburse pharmacies for the lowest of different amounts, one of which is often the pharmacy's usual and customary charge to the public. Through Medicare Part D, the government also offers prescription drug coverage to beneficiaries. To administer that coverage, CMS awards contracts to private plan sponsors. Those plan sponsors, in turn, enter contracts with pharmacies, sometimes through middlemen called pharmacy benefit managers. Many of the contracts at issue here limited any reimbursement to the pharmacy's usual and customary price. The bottom line is that, when respondents submitted reimbursement claims to these entities, they often were required to charge and disclose their usual and customary price for that drug. But according to petitioners, respondents reported higher prices to these entities than the ones that they usually and customarily charged to the public. Section B. According to petitioners, in 2006, respondent's competitor, Walmart, began offering 30-day supplies of many drugs for $4. To compete with Walmart, SuperValue and Safeway adopted price match programs in which their pharmacies would match a competitor's lower price at a customer's request. SuperValue's pharmacies would then automatically apply that price to future refills of the drug for those customers. Meanwhile, Safeway also adopted a membership discount program through which customers received discounted generic drug prices, often $4 for a 30-day supply. To enroll in that membership program, customers had to fill out a form with only basic information. Petitioners argue that Safeway often already had this information on file. SuperValue's programs continued into 2016. Safeways continued until 2015. Respondents' discount programs turned out to be popular. Though the exact extent of that popularity is disputed, petitioners have presented evidence that the discounted prices comprised a majority of sales for many drugs to customers who paid in cash, and not through insurance, for at least some years during the program's operation. For example, according to petitioners, a majority of SuperValue's 2012 cash sales for 44 of its 50 top-selling prescription drugs were made at those discounted prices. And according to petitioners, 88% of Safeway's 2014 cash sales for its top 20 generic drugs were at discounted rates. Petitioners contend that those discounted prices were actually respondents' usual and customary prices, and that rather than submitting those lower prices for reimbursement, respondents instead reported their higher, non-discounted prices. For example, petitioners have presented evidence that Safeway charged just $10 for 94% of its cash sales for a 90-day supply of a cholesterol drug between 2008 and 2012. Yet Safeway apparently reported prices as high as $108 as usual and customary during that time. 
and petitioners presented evidence that at least at some times and for some drugs, SuperValue made more than 80% of its cash sales for prices less than what it disclosed as its usual and customary price. To be sure, the phrase usual and customary on its face appears somewhat open to interpretation. But petitioners contend that respondents were informed that their lower, discounted prices were their usual and customary prices, believed their discounted prices were their usual and customary prices, and tried to hide their discounted prices from regulators and contractors. Petitioners have presented evidence that they claim supports that theory. For example, both SuperValue and Safeway received a notice in 2006 from a pharmacy benefit manager stating that the phrase usual and customary refers to discounted prices. Safeway apparently received the same message from state Medicaid agencies, and executives at both companies raised concerns about letting state agencies or pharmacy benefit managers find out about their discounted prices. For example, some emails between SuperValue executives described their discount program as a stealthy approach and noted concern for the integrity of their U and C price claims. An executive at Safeway similarly stated that, quote, We may have some issues with U and C, and if you match a price offer, that becomes your usual and customary price for that day. Other documents directed Safeway's employees to match Walmart prices, but cautioned that employees should not put any of this in writing to stores because our official policy is we do not match. Petitioners argue that this and other evidence show that respondents thought that their claims were inaccurate, yet submitted them anyway. Section C. Before proceeding, some context about how these cases reached us is useful to understand the question presented. The FCA, as relevant here, imposes liability on those who knowingly present a false or fraudulent claim for payment or approval. Thus, two essential elements of an FCA violation are 1. the falsity of the claim, and 2. the defendant's knowledge of the claim's falsity. In SuperValue's case, the district court ruled against SuperValue on the falsity element. It determined that SuperValue's discounted prices were its usual and customary prices, and that by not reporting them, SuperValue submitted claims that were false. But the district court then granted summary judgment for SuperValue based on the Sienter element, holding SuperValue could not have acted knowingly. Soon after, it granted Safeway summary judgment on the same basis. The Seventh Circuit affirmed. In doing so, it relied heavily on Safeco Insurance Company of America v. Burr, 2007, a case that interpreted the term willfully in the Fair Credit Reporting Act, or FCRA, specifically the Seventh Circuit read Safeco to dictate a two-step inquiry for ascertaining whether a defendant acted recklessly or knowingly. 
At step one, the Seventh Circuit took Safeco to ask whether a defendant's acts were consistent with any objectively reasonable interpretation of the relevant law that had not been ruled out by definitive legal authority or guidance. This step, the Seventh Circuit held, applied regardless of whether the defendant actually believed such an interpretation at the time of its claims. Only if the defendant's acts were not consistent with any objectively reasonable interpretation would the court proceed, at step two, to consider the defendant's actual subjective thoughts. Thus, under the Seventh Circuit's approach, a claim would have to be objectively unreasonable as a legal matter before a defendant could be held liable for knowingly submitting a false claim, no matter what the defendant thought. Turning to the facts here, the Seventh Circuit held that respondents were entitled to summary judgment because their actions were consistent with an objectively reasonable interpretation of the phrase usual and customary. Specifically, the court reasoned that the phrase could have been understood as referring to respondents' retail prices, not their discounted prices, even if the phrase correctly understood referred to their discounted prices. It thus did not matter whether respondents thought that their discounted prices were actually their usual and customary prices. What mattered, instead, was that someone else, standing in respondents' shoes, may have reasonably thought that the retail prices were what counted. We granted certiorari to resolve that legal question. If respondents' claims were false and they actually thought that their claims were false— because they believed that their reported prices were not actually their usual and customary prices, then would they have knowingly submitted a false claim within the FCA's meaning? Or is the Seventh Circuit correct, that respondents could not have knowingly submitted a false claim unless no hypothetical, reasonable person could have thought that their reported prices were their usual and customary prices? It is equally important to recognize what we did not grant certiorari to review. We are not reviewing the meaning of the phrase usual and customary, or whether any of respondents' claims were in fact inaccurate or otherwise false. Nor are we reviewing whether respondents actually thought that the phrase usual and customary referred to their discounted prices nor, for that matter, are we reviewing any factual disputes about what respondents did or did not believe or do. These cases come to us from the grant of summary judgment to respondents on one discrete legal issue, and we granted certiorari to resolve only that issue. We've come to the end of part one of this opinion, but don't worry, next episode we will pick up right where this episode left off. Until then, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us. <laughs>